0: Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Do is I love what Harry uh, shared with me years ago when you're talking about something that is potentially controversial or even, uh, even being abused is the antidote to abuse is instruction in proper use. And so that's the goal of this, is to instruct us, what, the, what is the truth about the Holy Spirit? And so what we're doing is we're, 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 we're solving this problem of misinformation or no information. And so I don't want you to be left with assumption or opinion or neglect, and, and we certainly do not want to relegate the Holy Spirit off into the shadows, uh, when in reality what we should be doing is bringing the Holy Spirit into center stage as the one who empowers who teaches, who comforts, and who leads our lives in the will of the Father. Can you say amen to that? Now, I will say as we begin, the subject of the Holy Spirit and his work is enormous. I struggled the last couple weeks while I was studying this. I really struggled because it's hard to know where to start. Because sometimes it's like, well, you study this and it's like, well, okay, I got to know that to get this or i study that and i got to know this to get that and so sometimes it's really hard to know where to start and so for the purposes of this study we are going to confine ourselves to the baptism of the holy spirit and the nine gifts that go with it does that make sense yes. so that's what we're doing so before we get to our text i want to begin by reading the 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 inauguration if i'm saying that word right of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This right here, this portion of Scripture, is describing for, for you and I the very moment when one of the most remarkable prophecies in all of the Word of God was fulfilled. We know that the Word of God is filled with prophecy. We know there was prophecy about Jesus about his coming, about his second coming. Uh, we know there is prophecy about, there was prophecy about the Israelites. There was prof- prophecy about what God was going to do in the children of is- uh, Israel as a kingdom. Then there's prophecy about you and I, even. There's prophecy all through the word of God. And one of the more remarkable prophecies was about the Holy Spirit. And the reason this is so remarkable is because for the very first time, In human history, man had access to God in a way that was never known before, outside of Adam. That's what's remarkable to me, and that's the thing I think that we have to pay attention to and why this is so important, because we're talking about having access to God himself on a level that most people for a long time in history never had. On the day of Pentecost... Visitors were all through Jerusalem, and they're kind of doing their thing, and they witnessed this unbelievable event. There was a visible sign, a visible presentation of the Holy Spirit being poured out on believers who begin to declare the glory of God in languages they had never known before. And the reason this is so remarkable is because they were not just talking in a foreign language. It's not like a guy that spoke English started speaking French. If you study out the words, you find out that they also were talking with the colloquialism. In other words, the, the accents, the, 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 the frame of, of mind, the speech, the, the understanding of that place as if they had actually lived there. And so these witnesses are watching this and they're saying, wait a second, I know you and you're from this place, you're from right here, you're from Judea, you're from this place, this place, and there's no way you could know how to talk like me. How are you doing this? And it blows their mind. And their response, the witnesses that, re- that seen this, they responded to this supernatural event in a very natural way. And they asked this question, what does this mean? In Acts chapter 1 verse 12, it says, what does this, I'm sorry, chapter 2 verse 12, they said, what does this mean? mean? And 20 centuries later, the same question is being asked, isn't it? Think about this. As the Holy Spirit is doing spectacular things all over the world, not just in one location, it's not isolated to one group of people or one nation or one culture or one church or one uh, system of belief, It's everywhere, God is doing great things, spirit-filled Christians literally have become the second largest family of believers in the world. Ever since the uh, uh, Azusa Street revival that took place in the early 1900s, to this date, uh, the Pentecostal, or the, 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 the understanding of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and people that were receiving that, that... Theology and that doctrine has grown in such a way that it has become the second largest number of people that represent, in, in all of belief systems, when you look at this, it's, it's an amazing thing, the revival that's taking place in this theology. Does that make sense to you? God is doing something uh, very, very powerful. Uh, spirit-filled Christians are are gaining a number, and people are still asking the question, what does it mean? Even in this church, we should ask the question, what does this mean? It's important. It's in the Bible. It's not there because God didn't have anything else to say, or that God just wanted to communicate a nice story, It's there because God is showing us something of how to communicate and connect with him. Amen? Amen. And so the other question that is being asked, which is also equally important, is does this mean anything to me? Or should it mean anything to me? I talk to a lot of Christians who don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit, And one of the things that they're concerned about is, is this really real for me, and should I pay attention to it? Should I desire this? Should I pursue this, or should I just let this be whatever it's going to be? Well, I think what you're going to find out as we go through this is that we should be pursuing this, that we should know about this, that we should embrace this, and we should learn as much as we can. So... With that thought in mind, I want to look at our text. So look at Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now jump down to verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and the end of the earth. Now the first thing that I want you to uh, think about and see in our text is that this portion of Scripture is being spoken in a moment or the moments just before Jesus ascends into heaven. So this is some of a, I don't know if these are the exact last words, but I do know these are some of his last words that he speaks to the disciples. These are definitely his last instructions to them. And so what does Jesus do here? Jesus tells them, in essence, before you do anything, before you do anything that I've instructed you, I need you to wait for power from my Spirit to come upon you. And if there's any way that we can sum up the work of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is precisely that, power. Jesus was concerned as he was going into heaven, and we're going to see this more through Scripture here in just a minute, that as Jesus was going into heaven to take his spot at the right hand of the Father, he was concerned that they would wait One of the hardest things for human beings to do is wait. But in this case, Jesus says, I need you to wait until you're endued with power. You've heard about this. I've told you about this. This is a promise, and I need you to wait for power. And it should come to us as no surprise that our call or our commission and the plan of God for our lives will require much more from us than we will ever be able to muster on our own. I don't know about you, but I have tried to do things on my own before. It don't work well. I I mean, about seconds into the project, I'm already confused. I'm already like, what do I do? I don't know where to go. And so God has called each one of us, and if I could take just a little bit of a, maybe a bunny trail uh, on this, just for a moment, to touch on just another subject. Every person sitting in this room has a calling of God. There's a plan of God for you. Not everybody here is called to the offices of pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. Not everybody is in that realm. But we all have a calling. We all have a purpose. We are all a part of the body of Christ. Wouldn't you say that's true? Every one of us, we're a part of the body. And there's different parts. I was, I was talking with Barb today, and her and I were talking, and I was sharing with her that in the body, it's a remarkable thing. If, and I showed her this. I was sitting in my chair, and I said, I want to show you something. I said, if I decide my body, my head decides and let's say for the example the head is jesus which that's what the bible says the head decides the body is going to get up and move to the door i said now watch what happens and i put i did it in slow motion i put my hands on the desk and with my hands i pushed back and as i was pushing back my back began to move forward as my legs began to rise and I said, there's all kinds of things happening. There's all kinds of muscles and all kinds of different parts. And they're all doing different things. But they are all necessary for the one goal. Yeah. is to get the body to the door. Yeah. So one of the things that happens, I think, in churches sometimes, and this what happened in Paul's generation, everybody wanted to be the eye. Oh, aren't you a beautiful blue eye? Brown eye, whatever I, you know, whatever beauty, or you know, maybe you're just the nose. You're such a beautiful nose. And Paul says, if everybody's the nose, where's the seeing? And if everybody's an ear, where's the seeing or the the smelling? And we go on and on, and so we're all apart. He even went so far to say, is that even the parts of the body that we don't see, they are not only significant. God makes sure that they have more honor because they go unseen. And that's something that we need to learn in this context because we are all a part of the body. We're going to do different things. Some may teach, some may be evangelists, some may counsel, some may sweep the floor, some may cook dinner. I don't know what you'll do, but we all have a purpose in the body of Christ, Amen. amen? And the purpose for your life works together with the other purposes in other people to accomplish the plan of God. But there is none of us that can, can fulfill the purpose that we have been given by God in the body on our own. We have to have the power of the Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, when we look at this, we, we think about what, what did Jesus say in connection to this? In John fifteen five, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So what is he doing? He's communicating very clearly to us that we need his power. We need him. We need his strength. Jesus understood all too well this idea of our need of him when he said in John sixteen seven, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, before I go any further in that verse, he's talking to the disciples that he has just spent three years with. These are guys that he loves. They love him. They have sacrificed their entire lives to follow him. And he says, listen, guys, I know that the whole death and resurrection thing kind of flipped you out. He says, but it's necessary that I go away also. Not only did I have to die and rise again, but now I have to take my place next to my Father in heaven and he says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. So he's te- what's he telling them? He's saying, look it, I'm going away, but you're not going to be alone. There's another one coming. Okay, and then in John 14, 26, he says, but the advocate, or and I'll, that word is literally, it's parakletos, which means helper or it can mean lawyer, it can be advocate, it can be a lot of different things. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, so now we're defining who the helper is, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The description of the Holy Spirit as the advocate, I think sometimes in English is kind of one-dimensional. We, unless you've had an advocate, you, you don't really understand Unless you've had somebody represent you in a hopeless situation. Because we're not just talking about somebody like a real estate agent. We, we get that. They're our advocate. We know that they're looking for the best deal. But they got skin in the game too. Amen? We're talking about somebody that will help you when you can do nothing for yourself. This is the kind of advocate we're talking about. And the Bible reveals to us who he really is. He is an incredible friend and comforter that never leaves us or forsakes us. He is the one that brings conviction and correction, but he never condemns. He is a counselor who leads and guides in all truth, showing us great and wonderful things. He's a benefactor who lavishes us with gifts that empower us. He is one who gives insight and understanding, which we would call revelation, into the unknown. He is one who takes us to new levels of prayer and fellowship, or literally intimacy, with the Father. And it's through the continuing work of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of the cross that the plan of God is accomplished in our lives. Now listen to the words that Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. So what is he, what's Paul saying? He goes, look it, we didn't show up with a good story. We had something to back up what we were saying. We not only had the good news, but we also had a good demonstration of the power of that news. And that came not through them, In the sense of in their own accord, but it came through them as the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the through if you go back into the Old Testament and the people that were living in the Old Testament, they also had an understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Zechariah 4. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word uh, of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying, look, it's not going to be by human strength. You're not going to, you know, armstrong your way through this one, he says. It's not going to be a, a process of human endeavor. He says, but what it's going to be is going to be by my spirit. You know the story, Zerubbabel, uh is the guy that's in charge of building the temple. And the, if you go on and you read about it, it says, it even prophesies, it says, he will put the capstone in. And in other words, I'm going to empower him, and he's going to finish this project. So there's no doubt that the express purpose of the Holy Spirit to, is to empower us in a variety of ways. Can you say Amen. Now, as we move further into this study, it will be abundantly clear that the purpose of the baptism is to empower the believer to live the kind of life that glorifies God the Father and accomplishes His work on the earth. The reason I'm stressing that today is because so often it does seem like a portion of Christianity makes the Holy Spirit about something other than than to be empowered by him to do what he's called us to do. Amen? Sometimes, and we'll talk about this a little bit further, but sometimes the gifts of the Spirit to the church are more about toys than tools. I know that, 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 that sounds hard, but that's why what happens is when, when the church makes it all about the toys then what happens is it gets a bad reputation about the Holy Spirit, and people go, no, no, I don't want to be a part of that. But when people use it in the purpose that it was provided, in tools to do what God's called us to do, it becomes a supernatural move of God that people are literally drawn to. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, as we move on, I want you, the second thing that I want you to notice in the text that we read, the first thing that we saw that Jesus was saying is that you need power. The second thing is, He says, wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you shall be baptized with the Holy, Day, uh, Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, the first thing Jesus tells us is, You need power. And the second thing that He tells us is, He says, This is a promise. This is a promise. Now let's put a little more light on the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father goes all the way back and it has its origins all the way back in the Old Testament. The emphasis on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit has never been new to the church. Are you hearing me? The outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the logical culmination of revealed truth about the Holy Spirit as found throughout the Old Testament. This is not some New Testament concoction. This is not some thing that was made up in the 21st or the 20th century to just freak people out. This goes all the way back to the Old, uh, Old Testament because the Bible can continually refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God, or his spirit at creation, it says the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's the same, the same spirit that hovered over the waters that when God created the earth is the same spirit that will fill you up, that will baptize you in himself. The craftsmen that built the tabernacle according to the precise design that God had laid out were filled with the spirit of God. Prophets, kings, and priests ministered supernaturally when they were prompted by the Spirit of God. And prophecy and speaking on the behalf of God has always been about an anointing or an empowerment of the Holy Spirit that was evident throughout the, whole, the Old Testament. Amen. Are you seeing that? So this is not anything new. And in Acts chapter 2, or chapter two verse 17, Peter connects... What's happening on the day of Pentecost, when we read in Acts 2, 1 through 4, he he connects this as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, quoting Joel exactly. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Joel is prophesying of a time to come when the Holy Spirit would be poured out in such a way that anyone who is walking as a child of God and serving him would receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a baptism, if you will, with power and gifting. Are you hearing that? Now after the initial moment, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and 16, it says, Peter, so what's happened, just to give you the context, the, the, the day of Pentecost has happened, the Holy Spirit's been poured out, they've spoken tongues, the tongues of fire, the mighty rushing wind, all that's happened, and things have kind of settled down a little bit, and people are kind of walking around, and they're like, what's going on? In fact, they even accused these folks of being drunk. Peter stands up in verse 14, and he says, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The reason that I bring that out is because as we dig down and lay our foundation, and I I know this is kind of like not real exciting, but we're laying the foundation, you need to understand that what's transpiring in the New Testament was prophesied in the Old, and it was verified in the New. Right. So, so what, what Peter's doing under the power of the Holy Spirit, he says this is in fact exactly what God said that he would do. This is that. Are you hearing me? Then in Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 33, Peter's still speaking. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses to this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you see and hear today. This is important that we get this. Why? Why? Why do we get this? Partly because of the next verse we're going to read. But we have to understand what's transpiring in this moment is the fulfillment of a promise. Okay? Now, there's going to be a little foreshadowing for next week, but and we'll talk a lot more about it next week. But then in verse 39, Peter says this, for the promise is for you, oh, the people that he's talking to, and your children... And for all who are afar off, everyone everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So who is the promise that we're talking about? This promise that we've established, started in the Old Testament, came into the New Testament, it's fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, it's verified, this is that. And then he says, look it, not only is this for you people and your children, but this is for everyone as far off is the Lord God shall call. Amen. That's you and I. Amen. Now I know it's been 2,000 years. It's been a long time down the road, but that's afar off. That's a See, when God uses terms like a long time and a far off, he means it. Because, he, because when he left, he says, I'm coming right back. And it's been 2,000 years ago. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God's clock is a little bit different than ours. So what we're establishing right now, the goal of this is couple things and so this is what i i I want to make solid is that jesus told his disciples don't do nothing i know i've given you a lot of instruction i've told you to do some pretty awesome things i want you to go disciple nations he didn't say go disciple men he said go disciple nations I challenge you you can you can bring it back next week you won't find him saying disciple men he says disciple nations Now, there's no doubt men make up nations, so we get that. But the point is, Jesus is thinking big. Jesus also indicated to us that we're a part of a body. And that body is going to fulfill that commission. And that we have a calling or a purpose in that body. And that we cannot fulfill it on our own. And so he says, wait for power before you do anything. So you need this power. So Jesus is describing the need of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, for this is what I've told you about, and my Father has promised it to you. Then when it happens, Peter stands up under the anointing and says, this is exactly that. And if you go back into the Acts chapter 2 and look at the record, the very thing that he spoke was a direct quote out of Joel chapter 2. And he goes, this is that. And then he says, he didn't stop there. He does not leave us out of the equation. He says, this promise is for you, meaning the people he's talking to, your children, so he's indicating generational. And then he says, as far off as the Lord God our call. Now, I want you to notice something. This is is a a style of how you recognize some things in the Bible. When Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go because I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. God always works in circles. Jesus had the one, John. Then he had the three, John, Peter, and James. Then he had the 12. Then he anointed and sent out the 70. He had about 150 in the upper room. There was about 500 that saw him before he went to heaven. And there was the multitudes. Circles going out. In the Old Testament, what does God tell Moses? I want you to get set up captains. Tens, hundreds, thousands. Why? Because those guys will deal with the problems and then the really big stuff you deal with. It's how the Bible is put together. So when we come to this point right here, the promise, this is for you, Jerusalem, your children, Judea, and those as far off as the Lord God shall call the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the same pattern of... The way God's speaking, do you see this? And so these promises are the fulfillment of what God is doing. It is also, and I'm making a case, trying to kind of give you a little secret, I kind of put this lesson together as if I was going to present it in a court of law. <laughs> so I wanted a lot of evidence. So, I don't know if that means anything. It's also the fulfillment of what John the Baptist prophesied. In Luke chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus answered and said to all, I indeed uh, baptize you with water. But one, John answered, I'm sorry, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then Jesus prophesied It of himself. In John 7, 37 and 39, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then he says in Luke 24, 49, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed. You need to pay attention to that word clothed. He didn't say filled. See, the clothing surrounds me. I am living inside this shirt right now. And you should all say thank God to that. He says, until you are clothed with power on high. John the Baptist and Jesus prophesied this as well. So are there any questions? Any questions so far? We'll take a moment and see if there are any questions. So we've established the fact that Jesus said, wait for power. We've established the fact that this is a promise Amen. that was made by the Father. It was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, and Peter said, this is that came from the Old Testament, and even Jesus and John verified that. So we're all good with that so far? Good, solid foundation? Okay. So now what we're going to do in the rest of this evening is we're going to look at the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the baptism, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that I'm doing this, and this is where, to be honest with you, I... (laughs) It, this was good for me, man. This is, this is where you, had to, you have to stretch those muscles out a little bit. You know what I mean? You stretch those uh, uh, study muscles. So the reason I want to move in this direction for a few minutes is because I believe that it will help us to better understand all that we're talking about. And I want to look at this difference between the indwelling and the baptism of the Spirit because there is no doubt that there is a lot of controversy and uh, uh, confusion uh, in this area. There's a lot of, it's, a lot of people are unsure. But here's what I want to say to you. There is no believing Christian that would ever deny the existence or the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't, even if people don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they still believe in the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's just part of Christianity. If you X out one of the members of the Trinity, you're no longer in Christianity. You're in something else. Okay? And I know that's even a controversial statement, but I'm willing to stand on that one. And there is so much misunderstanding and misinformation that comes from the distinction between these two, the indwelling and the baptism. So simply put... The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation and the baptism of the believer in the Holy Spirit, they are two very different things. And to really understand this, we have to go back and look carefully at some familiar scripture. So let's go back and look at our text again, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days now. Now, what do we learn from these verses? First of all, there is an experience that is called the baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. We we know that he's already. We could see that he says you need to wait for it. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we know there's an experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism with the Holy Spirit appears to be separate or distinct from salvation, regeneration, or new birth. Amen. See, because it is one thing this this evening to be born again by the Spirit, and it's yet another thing to be baptized in the Spirit, okay? Scripture clearly describes the work of the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 in the uh, ESV, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, it wasn't our righteousness that got the job done. But according to his own mercy, now listen, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As Christians... We place a great priority on being born again. We know that. We know the the John 3:16. We we rightfully hold to that. We 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 preach that, we talk about that, and it is a work the being born again. Listen, being born again is a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Jesus answered, he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So in effect, what we can, we can logically say, that every human being that's saved has two birthdays. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. The day we were born in this flesh and the day we were born of the Spirit. Then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 in the New Living Translation says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Now this is what I need you to see, because we're talking about salvation and regeneration and new birth. And so that's what he's talking about. He says he identified you as his own, By giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we we would praise and glorify him. Okay? The Holy Spirit comes in regenerating power. He makes his presence known as an inner witness to our new status as the children of God. But now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we also talk about a baptism into the body. I need you to pay attention to this. Because not only does the Holy Spirit work this thing inside, it's called the new birth or regeneration, but the Holy Spirit also does something quite unique. Remember I told you in the beginning that we're all in a body, right? We're part of his body. So then he tells us this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized, or what? Immersed, made to live in... One body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So, so far we are talking about, even though this uses words that are very similar that we would use in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is using words that describes the regeneration, salvation, and the new birth experience, being made a part of Jesus' body, okay? We now as believers can walk, because of all of this, in intimacy and confidence in our relationship with God. And once the Spirit takes up residence in us, He guides us, He enables us to live a life of sanctification and spiritual maturity. But the work of the Holy Spirit is not just an inner transformation of new birth and sanctification. It is also the work of empowering believers to do the work assigned to them as the body of Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to understand this, why I'm saying this. Getting saved is a function of God's grace when we have faith to receive, by grace through faith. We are saved, right? So we come into this. We receive him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says that he comes in by his spirit. He dwells in us. He identifies us. He gives us a new identity. He baptizes us into his body. And then internally, he empowers us to walk out the Christian life. But that is not the end of the road for the Christian. It was never about just getting saved, church. That's where I think a lot of Christians have gone astray. It's like, hey man, I'm golden, I'm saved. Yeah. Next. That's not, we are a part of a body. And that body is going somewhere, and that body is under the command of a head. Amen. So scripture then clearly describes what the baptism is going to be, this experience which Christ now baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water, Paul, John speaking, John the Baptist speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worried to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There is a different function happening here. That's right. yes. There's a different function. Something's different up here. It's happening different. And they cannot refer to the same experience because of the one who is doing the baptizing. Think about this. It's because of the one doing the baptizing and the element in which they are being baptized in. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. We read the scripture. Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. Two different events. Two different works. Holy Spirit putting us in through regeneration and through new birth into the body of Christ. And then once that's done, Jesus says, now I'm going to put you dead smack into the Holy Spirit. So let's take this a little bit further. In John 20, 22 We read something really interesting. It's an interesting portion of Scripture. The Bible says that Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It is believed, and it is my belief as well, it is at this point that the disciples receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in them. This is the work of regeneration. That's what's happening. In in essence, the disciples at this point are getting saved. That's what's happening, and it is a process, and I know it's a little bit different than what we experience, but you know what? The disciples experienced a lot of stuff that's different than us, and I'm not just using that as a cleanup, but I'm simply saying that as we look at other scripture, because we're not going to make a doctrine out of one scripture, right? Right. Okay, so here he is, he's breathing on them. Now here's the rub, because there are those that would object and say that the action of Jesus breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit, was only symbolic. But it's my belief that that's a wrong interpretation of that experience, because there is no scriptural basis for making that interpretation. There's nothing in Scripture that would indicate that they did not receive the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's kind of hard for me to believe that Jesus could breathe on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit and have nothing happen. Yeah, right. The reason why they say it's only symbolic is because they have come to believe that the indwelling at salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are the same experience. Now, they can happen simultaneously. We've seen people get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time, but it's two experiencing happening simultaneously. But from the time that Jesus breathed on them, the Holy Spirit indwelled in them. Yet in, the, in, in our text, Jesus told them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the Holy Spirit. Come on, Are you hearing me? And it seems to me from Scripture that if the indwelling and the baptism were the same thing, then the disciples had no need to wait, or that Jesus' exercise in breathing on them and speaking over them, was futile or ineffective. Jesus never did anything ineffective, right. ever. Anything. And it's hard for me to believe that when he breathed and when he spoke that, it didn't happen. And Scripture indicates that we ought to seek not only the, transforma- the, the transformational work of the Spirit in regeneration, and in sanctification through salvation, but we should also seek the empowering work of the Spirit in baptism in the Holy Spirit that is promised by Jesus and repeatedly witnessed in the book of Acts and the epistles over and over. Any understanding this evening of the Spirit's work that's limited to the indwelling only is not representative of the whole of God's work of the Holy Spirit. So I guess, are there any questions at this point? Anybody, I said something, you're like, ah, man, you're going to have to rerun that bill. Okay, so if you didn't hear his question, what Bill's saying is, what, what do they mean by the word baptized? He's a little confused. What does that mean? Well, the, the word baptized literally means to be immersed or to be put in something. And so the only way that I can explain it is it's one thing for a boat to be in the water. It's another thing for the water to be in the boat. So at the day of Pentecost... When the Holy Spirit is being poured out, it's even interesting that the language and the imagery that's painted in the, the story is there's this pouring. So there is this pouring of the Holy Spirit as if it's being poured out on top of them, and they are being immersed in it. I'll, I'll repeat what he says, Harry. Yes. yes, yes, and so what, what Bill was saying is that, that this pouring out at the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of the promise that he said, wait, and they waited about 10 days, I think, commentaries say it was about 10, day, 10 days that they waited, and, and, and if you actually go do a, it's a pretty cool study what the day of Pentecost is, because it was a Jewish feast. And it, there's all kinds of really cool um, uh, representation of that. So I'll leave you to that to, to go study. But it, it was a significant day. And so there is this outpouring, this immersing. That, and this is the imagery of Scripture. Is that, and even in the wording is that the Spirit comes in for regeneration. And then for empowering, we, were, we are immersed in. And so I know that there is... Uh, and I, I, I need to be a little bit careful here I, because I'm, uh, I know that we don't always see. In other words, I don't, I don't look in the mirror, and even though I know that I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I don't look in the mirror and see a physical evidence of that. In other words, I don't see some sort of shiny glowing thing around me or, or, uh, or any nonsense like that. I don't see that kind of thing. So I don't look in the mirror and go, oh, look, man, there's the Holy Spirit, and I'm right inside him. No, I, 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 I don't think that. I think what it is, is there is, a, I think there is some symbolism in it, in the sense that, uh, uh, spiritually speaking, we are in him. And so our spirit, our spirit man, who's been made alive in Christ, The Holy Spirit is in the spirit man, where Jesus takes up residence and all of that, and the spirit man is now in the Holy Spirit as well, in the baptism. Yes, sir. Yeah. To me I don't think that's accurate. Yeah. I understand <clears> gives, <throat> certain gifts. I don't know if there's an online gifts or how that even goes. Right. That's Ron that whole okay. yeah, that that Yeah, and that is a great question. It is a little head because our next class n- next week, we're gonna talk about first of all, is the is the baptism for today or has it passed away? And then the next question we're answering is, what is the evidence of the baptism? And we're going to talk about that, and that's where tongues come in. Now, when I say that, you guys need to be really careful of making any assumptions of what you may or may not have heard in the past, because we're going to, once again, we're going to walk through it with Scripture. I don't want this to be like, hey, this is what I think. No, I want it to be what the Bible says, okay? And so... Uh, First of all, let me just, let me say this to you uh, in answer to that question. Uh, I can only speak of my experience, um, and I will speak of the Scripture as we go on, because obviously we don't have time to do all this. But my experience is I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues, okay? That is a gift that I have uh, that came to me. That is a gift that I use on a regular basis. There is lots of Scripture for it. There are also nine gifts that function. One of them is tongues and interpretation, and there are rules, if for lack of a better word, I don't like using the word rules, but in effect, that's what they are. because I, when I say guidelines, that sounds like a suggestion, um, and I don't. But they do teach us. The Bible teaches us how to operate in order, and so there are. And once again, you have to pay attention to wording. And I'm so tempted right now to dive into some scripture for you, but, but I, I got to hold back. But it, it, please come next week because we're going we're gonna to look at that. And then even the weeks following, we're going to talk more about the gifts and how they're to operate within the church and what is a healthy, uh, balanced way of operating in the church. One of the things that we can't do, <clears throat> first of all, let me say this, we cannot afford to walk in fear. Okay, and, and a lot of times when we walk in fear, we walk in fear because we simply just don't understand something. Okay, and so what we really need to do is we need to be diligent to, diligent, diligent to search out the matter so that there is no fear, so we understand it. Okay, the other thing that I'm going to say to you is that there are people that do get a little weird, but they were weird before the Holy Ghost came. So. OK? And, and when I say that is because all, listen, and I say that with and I, I will say this when I refer to those that get weird, I'm referring to people that are operating to where they're trying to draw attention to themselves. OK? There is a difference, because there are people also, under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit, that do things that are strange to our flesh. Because it is of the kingdom of God. I guarantee you, the day you get to heaven, it's going to be strange. You ain't in Kansas no more. And so, hang on to your hat. And so, I say that because there, there has to be a balance. We, ha- we, we, we have to help people that are weird for the sake of insecurity and attention getting and all of that. We have to help them uh, come into understanding and knowledge so that they're not so it's not about them but at the same time as a church just because something happens that's different and outside of the norm uh we we can't just throw it away as it's not god because you know i i have people say to me i have this comment said to me on a regular basis uh it ain't in the bible there's a lot of stuff ain't in the bible there's a lot of stuff. I, I, there is not a place in the Bible that says, do not smoke marijuana. Just don't. In fact, every dope fiend knows that the verse in Genesis, every green herb, man. You know, I have heard that a million times. But the, the, the thing is, is what we have to do is we have to apply some common sense. What is the whole of the Word of God telling us? What is it telling us? And, and so, just so you know, uh, it does say, "Don't don't." It says, "Be sober." So anything that seduces sobriety, don't do that. Okay, so that's a another la- that that's a whole other Bible study, and we'll leave that for another day. Uh, you come to Jacob's ladder, and we'll tell you a lot about that. So, female sheep. I believe you, physical, spiritual, soul. The whole thing. I believe the Spirit affects all of the above. There is no specific scripture that speaks to that. But from the context of the whole, one would believe, and this is what I believe is that it is a spiritual thing. It's spiritual in nature. So therefore, uh, it is our spirit that's probably the first touched. And from there, the soul being the seed of our will, our mind, our emotions, the spirit will migrate and touch that. And then the spirit also, because we certainly, if we're going to be operating in the gifts, we have to give over our flesh to the operation of the Holy Spirit. So... So, while I can't point to a scripture that says this is where the Holy Spirit comes in at, my assumption, and I have to say that is that, is that because He is Spirit, that He starts with our Spirit? Would, would, I mean, I'm looking at Pastor Alex. Does that, or is he, is he just, he's looking at me, leave me out, man. <laughs> no, he gave me a thumbs up. So, I, I think I saw a question way in the back. One more. Did you have your hand up in the back? Yes, you know, it's not something that I've ever seen in my experience, but it has been seen. Um, There has been testimonies. In fact, I don't know where Harry went, but I do believe Harry was involved in a service one time. Where's Harry? Is he here? I think he went out. I think Harry was involved in a service, I, I could have my story wrong, where he was in a church service that people were coming in and saying, you need to call the fire department because there's flames shooting out of the top of the building. Was it in El Paso? Yeah, it was in a revival that he was yeah. They called, the fire department came. And the fire department came. <laughs> so, uh, so the, like I said, weird things can happen when it's the Holy Ghost. So they didn't, they didn't this is where, okay, and that's a, I'm glad you brought that up, and then, and then this will be the last because I just noticed the time, and I'm going to let you guys get out of here. <laughs> One, one, of the, one of the things that we have to be careful of, I don't think we should pray for experience. We should pray for him and let him de- decide what the experience is. Because the Bible tells us that the supernatural is signs and wonders. So what are signs and wonders? Signs point to something. Signs always point to Jesus. So if the sign is pointing to something other than Jesus, disregard the sign. And wonders make you go, hmm. I don't know about that. It makes me wonder. Okay, like when you know, like I say, talking donkeys and you know, getting money out of fish's mouths and all that kind of stuff. Makes me wonder. You know, and, and one of the things that you have to do in that is you cannot allow your experience to be limited to only what is enumerated in the Bible because you limit God. You look at all of the Bible is in God, but not all of God is in the Bible. In fact, the Bible even says there are mysteries that he reserves for himself. John the Baptist, or not John the Baptist, John the Revelator in the book of Revelations was standing there and he says, the seven thunders said, and the angel said, keep your mouth shut. And so I want to know what the seven thunders said. And God says, well, too bad. Now, I'm hoping when we get to heaven, we get to know. I don't know. But there are, so not everything we know about, not everything that is God is in the Bible, but all of the Bible is in God. And so we do ourselves a disservice to limit God when signs and wonders show up. We also do a disservice to ourselves when we seek the sign and not the giver. Because now what we've done is we, we, we and, I'm, and, and please don't misunderstand, this is nothing against your question. I think it's wonderful because I know that I have in the past. God, light this place on fire. Light it on fire. Light it on fire. I just want to see these people burn. <laughs> Not really. No. <laughs> I want to see you all touched with the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean. <clears throat> Got to watch what you say up here. <laughs> what am I doing? Larry's looking at me like... Oh, man. The, 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 the. So I, I, what I've learned to do is, Holy Spirit, just pour yourself out. You do what you're going to do. And if he shows up because we have evidence of him showing up as a still, small voice, we also have evidence of him showing up as lightning flying across the sky. And either one and everything in between is acceptable to me as long as it's him. Does that make sense? All right, why don't we bow our heads real quick, and I'm going to let you get out of here. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done, and we just give you glory, and we give you honor, and we thank you, uh, God, just for the revelation, and we thank you for helping us. Father, we pray that you go with each one, and Father, we just uh, ask that you just continue to reveal to us the truth, God, of your word concerning the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.